was driven. I wanted to succeed. But I look back at it now, and that was the those were some of the hardest years working those eighty and ninety hour weeks. But that was a great. That was the best investment that I've ever made. And we're off. Welcome to Commonwealth Connections. This is Weston Wilson, your host. I have Dawson Fields co-host here. And today our guest is Steve Coleman, owner of CNR Asphalt. Steve, uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, first, thanks for having me on. But uh, yeah, I've been in Lexington since uh, uh, 92. Um, I was born and raised in a little uh, northwest Ohio town called Bryan. Um, all my family heritage is uh, from eastern Kentucky, Pike County. Uh, mom and dad, uh, grandparents, aunts and uncles, all there. The reason my family, a little background, the reason my family moved away was, uh, you know, both of my grandfathers were in the coal mines and, uh, and, uh, my, my dad's dad had, uh, gotten pinned by a rail car, a coal car and broke his back and was disabled. So he kind of hit two sons, my dad and his brother and kind of, uh, forbid them so so you know from wanting to work in the in the mines so dad moved up in the uh, auto manufacturing stuff and worked in the uh, little town of uh, Bryan and uh, that's what it was a little manufacturing and farm town and you know I graduated from high school there in 88 and uh, part of the part of the uh, history of how this how I came to be in start CNR was after I graduated I went to Bowling Green State University and uh, I was invited to walk on as a baseball player. And I thought, oh, yeah, I thought, you know, naive. I thought, you know, I had the stuff. I could, I could pull that off easy. I didn't know there's 150 other ones coming with me. And <laughs> of course, I didn't make the team. And, uh, and uh, I, I had always uh, I had always played, you know, two seasons of baseball, basketball, and football, and had a job and was always so busy uh, with everything that it, it – it kept you uh, occupied and and kind of out of trouble. So I had so much time on my hands after the first semester at Bowling Green. I was on academic probation. I know how to handle that. So I moved on to uh, get off academic probation and uh, I had a big two point five GPA after the first year. But uh, the the thing that I learned uh, there was uh, there was a, a guy in our dormitory uh, that we were talking about what we did for summer work. Well, my partner, Rick hit Rick Roy, his uh, grandfather was, uh, I don't know what his title was, but he was a pretty high up at the Ohio turnpike. So he had gotten us summer jobs that were really good jobs. It was, uh, the, the people that worked there were, were union. It was a high paying job for the, for the time for, we were making nine thirty-five an hour, which, which was, you know, minimum wage was three forty-five. So yeah, that's uh, good. Yeah. And, uh, so we worked on the, uh, Ohio turnpike and did road maintenance and stuff like that. And, uh, this, uh, this guy, I'm failing to remember his name. I should remember his name at Bowling Green. We were talking, he, his dad, he was from Syracuse, New York, and his dad had, uh, gotten them jobs working like him and his brother working like third shift in the factory. And they were making a little bit of money, but he said, we make all, all my brother and I said, my dad's got this old trailer and we go get these five gallon buckets of asphalt sealer and go out and knock on people's doors and seal driveways. He said, we make like three or four times more in a week than we do working at the factory in a third of the time. So I had to brainstorm, you know, Rick and I were always doing something. Uh, we were painting 
uh, metal aluminum roofs or um, the old uh, television towers back before cable everybody had yeah. antenna towers be painting those or doing roofing or something and uh, i'd worked in the construction in the summer some and uh so we started doing that and in little Bryan, ohio we graduated from five gallon buckets to uh, 55 gallon drums figured out we could go up into michigan and buy bulk sealer for really cheap and uh we were it was just a summer gig rick had just gotten out of basic training he was working uh i think he worked a little bit longer on ohio turnpike i did four years all summers and um he was working as a lineman and uh an electrician we uh would do that on the side and make you know three four thousand dollars a year five thousand or something each in the summers and just thought it was a summer gig well, after my first year at, at Bowling Green, I said, I, I need to, I need to have some structure. I need to play ball or something, uh, to keep me out of trouble. <laughs> so, so I started seeking a place, you know, that I could, I could be on the team, make the team, uh, or if I couldn't, I was going to go, I was going to go to basic training and it came right down to the wire. And, uh, the, uh, Pikeville coach, Pikeville college baseball coach, uh, gave me a pretty good, uh, baseball scholarship. And uh, I ended up going there my sophomore year. And uh, but I always came back uh, in the summers to Brian, where Rick and I did that for the for the four years. Anyway, graduated from Pikeville in '92 uh, after playing three years of ball. And uh, we, uh, I, I, my first job was here in Lexington, LN Seafood. I don't know if you guys remember that or not, but it was with, it was then Regatta and is now Palmer's. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So funny story. Of course, everybody in this area knows probably Bruce Drake. Um, yep, yep. With uh, Malones and Drakes and so on and so forth, and great entrepreneur in the local area. Bruce was my the general manager of Ellen and Seafood. He was my first boss out oh, of college. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and I know why he's successful. He's he's a, he's a smart guy. I mean, really smart guy, hard worker. Um, gosh. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, I was hired by Illinois Seafood, which was owned by Morrison's Cafeteria. And I was supposed to train, move to Cleveland and open a new store. Uh, they, human resource folks had knew, knew that I was from Ohio and asked if I would want to move back. And I wasn't real keen on it, but you know, I was willing to go where the, you know, the career path or the money or whatever. I knew nothing about restaurants. I'd never worked in a restaurant to be honest, fudged a little on the on the resume, I was having no success. I mean, I graduated from Pikeville with a, like a 3.86 or something. GPA had the baseball on there, had all kinds of accolades. I couldn't find a job making as much money as I was making on the Ohio Turnpike. And it was ridiculous. 90, 92 was a tough time, uh, you know, financially finding, finding a good job. So I ended up doing that with the restaurant business, had no idea what I was doing. So it was a, it was a tough learning curve, uh, Bruce, but Bruce was great. And, uh, he, he got, uh, well, his wife and him both were working there and, uh, they had something happen with the, uh, the Ellen and seafood in Pittsburgh, something really abrupt. I, gotta, I don't remember, recall the details, but they shipped Bruce and, and his wife off to Pittsburgh uh, to run that store. And, uh, he left and they made the kitchen manager, the general manager at LNN. And he and I didn't get along very well. Ended up getting, he fired me. Actually, I went to work for Applebee's more than double, almost triple my salary. Thomas and King was, that was an amazing experience. And I did that for, I, so I was with LNN for five or six months. And then, uh, Applebee's for about 
five months and I was just miserable. Kudos to the people that make it in the, in that industry, but it's rough. <laughs> it's a rough gig. I mean, uh, I just hated it. I hated it. So I, I resigned from, from the Applebee's job and, and I said, you know, I was still seeking what I wanted to do in life. And I said, you know what, I, this is what I want to do. I, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to UK. I, I bought a house after I figured out that, you know, they get, well, I, let me back up. They gave me the option. Ellen gave me the option after Bruce left. If I wanted to stay in Lexington, I could, or I could go on up to Cleveland. Uh, so I forgot that part of the story, but uh, I said, well, no, I'm, I'm done with those winters, you know, the lake effect snow and all that being up in that area. Yeah. I'm done with that. I'll stay down here. And, uh, and of course that within months fizzled out with me and the other manager. So that's why I ended up saying, good move, move. moving to, yeah. And going to Applebee's. Well, then I said, well, I don't want to do this. And I, so I got out of the restaurant thing and I said, you know, I bought, a, but after I, I bought a home, bought my first home after I figured I was staying in Lexington. And, uh, I said, well, I'm going to go back to college, get my master's and uh, I want to be a college baseball coach. That was what I was aspiring to do. Well, so what was interest rates back then? Oh, <laughs> I think my first house was, that's the buzzword right now, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think my first house was six something. Yeah. So about what it is now. Yeah. Roughly. Right. Normal. Yeah. But I, I remember my parents talking about financing a house at 10 or 12. Right. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, I think it's cool. You talked about, you went to college, you know, you were working all the way through college. You got a job. You didn't get a good job. seems like coming out of college, you weren't really excited about it. The market was tough and you still bought a house and it seems like nobody's doing that these days. You know, they're wanting to rent. Right. And there's a lot of value to owning your house. Oh, yeah. That's and the way I was raised is that, yeah, that's, that, there's a, a, that's just the way I was raised. You don't better to, to buy than to rent. I mean, why, why pay somebody else's mortgage, right? Back to the uh, college. So I started taking the classes at UK. And, but I said, well, you know. So you went back to school? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, just for, yeah, I was just part-time. But yeah. I said, I've bought this house. What was your degree at? The University of Pikeville? Well, I, my, my whole plan was to, for an accounting degree. Okay. And uh, I went to my, I, I couldn't get a tax class in to get the accounting degree, but I, I that's what I'd went. I thought I was going to be an accountant and then I realized I didn't, I, I didn't want to. I thought, and then I was going to, I was going to go ahead and get the, uh, the accounting degree. And then I, I looked at going to law school because I wanted to get into corporate bankruptcy and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of fizzled out. Um, I didn't do so good on the LSAT. Um, <laughs> I said, well, I'm really not cut up for this probably. But uh, yeah, so I, anyway, I graduated with a business management degree. Okay. Uh, one class away. I, didn't, I had to come back for another semester to get that tax class. And I said, no way, I'm done. And uh, I'll move on with life. I knew I wasn't going to be a accountant, didn't want to be a CPA anymore. So do you regret not going back? No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Not at all. But you see, so I bought this house. Yeah, I got a house payment and, and bills and, and, and I'm, I'm going to UK and I'm like, I got to do something to pay these bills. So I signed up with a, uh, a local contractor uh, in the, in the paving and pavement maintenance uh, guy that's still in business today. And uh, I won't mention the company name, but you can learn a lot from someone and sometimes it's what not to do. <laughs> I, and I, I learned so many things I, he was making, he was just, uh, I, I said to myself, you know, if, if, 
I can't, I don't think I can screw this up. I mean, I knew what he was doing. He was doing well. And uh, I said, I want to try this. And it was basically what Rick and I had done. And so we started, well, I started it on my own. My first job was in 93, got a, I I had $4,500 in the bank and a guy approached me well, actually approached my, my, my college roommate was, was living with me. And, uh, and somebody came up to him on a job site and gave him a card and said, Hey, I would like a quote to restripe the Toyota manufacturing test track. And, uh, Greg brought me that guy's card. I called him, you know, I told him I'm not, you know, this company, but that you approached, but I hear you're looking for somebody to do this job. And, uh, I didn't even, I had nothing. I had $4,500 in the bank. I bought a striping machine and borrowed my neighbor's truck, (laughs) (laughs) bought the paint. By the time I bought the paint, by the time I bought, I paid cash for the striping machine, I'd, I exhausted all the money I had. So, but made double my money. I made about $4,500 on the job and, uh, we did it in a day. And then I reinvested that money into a, uh, a couple of old trucks and a seal coating tank and started off uh, gung-ho. You were able to, with $4,500, get a couple trucks and a seal coating tank? Uh, well, it was nine. Did you rob it them? Was, it was, it was, it was 9000 It was 9000 <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Then. Right, okay. Uh, and it was literally a, uh, a $1,500 truck, I think, and a $2,500 truck, a $3,500 seal tank. And uh, had to buy blowers and some stuff, and and so, I had so to you call it, them and just being like, "Hey, I can do this without a plan of how you're going to do it yet." Can you do it. you bid the job and you didn't have a striper, and then right. you were like, <laughs> "All right, I got the job. Now I got to figure it yeah, out." Yeah, it's a great plan of attack, and I do not recommend that. Hey, it worked. It worked. You know, sometimes the hardest step is the first step, and you took the first step, and you're like, yeah. "Well, now I'm in this." Right. Well, it, you had asked me earlier. I think I think maybe Timmy had shared the story and I had this, so I had this little makeshift trailer, uh, that my neighbor worked at St. Joe hospital and they had some sort of a robot that they put in and took around in this little trailer. It was like a, like a four by five trailer and it just perfectly fit the striping machine. And I, I got it for like a hundred bucks or something. They, uh, and, uh, I'm going, I, I had a job, um, stripe of food city in pikeville so i was bouncing back and forth i had all the contacts uh when i started the business i still had a lot of friends and, and people in Bryan, ohio and i had people in pikeville so i was getting a lot of work where i was traveling i was doing stuff in, in pikeville i was doing stuff in Bryan, ohio i was yeah i was also doing stuff here in lexington and wherever you could wherever you could find the work you know your name's not out there and you know your phone's not ringing you don't have the money to resources for the yellow at that point these yellow page ads uh you gotta you gotta follow and go wherever you can get it uh and uh so i was i was headed to stripe the food city in pikeville and i'm on the mountain parkway i don't know i guess a weld broke on the trailer and the unit and the striper all the paint for the job was back there just rolling down the interstate into the ditch and i'm just sick to my stomach. I, oh my gosh. I was devastated. I didn't have any insurance on the striper. 
And uh, I remember calling my dad when I got back. And I was like, oh, that was, that was, that was a bummer. So no insurance on the Striper? No. That's their lesson in that. Did you insure all your uh, yeah. women after yeah. that one? Heavily insured ever since. Never, yeah. Uh, the young business didn't even think about it. So you got the Striper. You got, I mean, and what's crazy to me is, so did you, did you know that you were going to take your profits? You did the job at Toyota. Did you know you were going to just take your profits and go full send and buy a seal coat tank and two trucks? Like, was that, did the light bulb flick? As soon as, as soon as I got that job done, I was like, I need to do this. I mean, I had thought about it. I was just like, how do I get there? And, uh, you know, it was just like a godsend that that job came across. And then, you know, I spent the entire uh, winter that year working on getting equipment ready. And I mean, my grandfather, Pebble Elbert, was such a Right. And he, I couldn't have done what I did without him. He was a mechanic. He did so much. We, we tore with those trucks I bought for such cheap. They had the issues. I mean, we rebuilt transmissions and engines and rear ends and, you know, in the, in the middle of that winter and just, you know, he, he did so much for me. He would come down anytime I, I had, uh, had problems. Uh, you know, I, I remember at one point it'd been like 40 years since my grandparents had not spent, had been apart for a night. And, uh, wow. yeah. And, uh, my grandfather, my grandmother wasn't feeling well and she didn't want to make the trip down to the house. And, and, and Pavel came anyway and to work because I had mechanical problems and, and had jobs to do. And That's it was awesome. a blessing. Yeah. You're, you're mentioning this is winter time. So you, you do this striping job, you just buy all this equipment and right. you're going into the winter. Is that well, right? I was buying it through the winter and yes. Okay. So w- Where's the income coming in? Because you can't there exactly is, silk. I was. I, I tell you what. I, I was doing anything I could do. I was. I remember. Um, I had the pickup truck. You know, uh, an old Dodge. I want to say it was an '85 or something like that. And uh, I picked up a contract labor type job for uh, like one of the Yellow Page ad books, where they. You know, I saw it in the Herald Leader, where you uh, you come and pick up the uh, a truckload of. Uh, of the phone books and then you disperse them. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was doing, I was doing things like that. Anything I could do to get some supplemental income to, to, you know, ride out the, the yeah. time frame Cause I knew, I mean, I knew I could find some work, uh, but I, I, well, I thought I could, I, didn't, I guess I didn't right. know, but yeah. But it was a little seasonal. I mean, Oh yeah. 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 And uh, there's some things you can do in the winter as you expand, but essentially seal coat and striping that's, yeah. Right. It's, it's temperature dependent. It, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. And let's see, it was, uh, Rick's brother, uh, Rob, which is, uh, was like my brother, uh, as well. He, he was going to college and had a couple of friends and I'd, I had recruited them. They were actually staying with me. They, I was at the house and were, you know, my labor source for a couple of years. And then it was in, uh, Rick was working as a lineman back in Ohio and, uh, he uh, he called me on uh, in spring of '95 uh, and said, "Hey, I just got in an argument with my boss, and he fired me. He's like, you know, you got any work?" And I said, "Yeah, come on down." And uh, you know, he's never left. So, <laughs> but we, uh, you know, he we had had the thing before, and he he wanted to uh, he wanted to buy in, and I said, "You know, I I said I I got quite a bit invested in this time and and everything." I said, "I think." I, I think I want to keep the seal coat and stripe and crack filling for myself. But I said, I really think, you know, there's a market, uh, for the paving. And, uh, I said, how about if I do, I'll keep that. And then 
let's try to get in this paving business and, uh, and grow that. And then we'll be 50, 50 partners on anything be above and beyond that. So he and I bought a Bobcat and a, um, and a little dump truck and, uh, started doing patches and stuff like that. And, uh, and would, I had a company called Richmond road paving out of Irvine, Kentucky that we would sub some paving to, and we would help, we would help them when, uh, they were doing the paving jobs. We would, you know, rake, shovel, roll, whatever. And, uh, I approached them and said, Hey, we'd, uh, we'd like to buy in with you guys. And I said, I think, you know, they, they were nerving and they didn't have a, a lot of work in that area. I said, I think I can really generate the work to get you guys going and it'll help us too. So we, there was uh, three of them. So we ended up being, I was 20%, Rick was 20%. And then there were, were 60. We bought them and, and, and under CNR, it was CNR seal coating to begin with. And then we bought them and, and formed CNR asphalt. And, uh, we were getting a lot of work and I was getting a lot of work and, uh, they were building Hamburg at the time. And there was a company called Setco out of uh, Georgia that was doing a lot of the work and a local engineer named Rick Shank was out there and I developed a relationship with him and we were, we were doing Setco had their own paving crews out of Georgia, but they were tied up and, uh, we started doing a lot of work with them and or for them. And, uh, they had the trucks, they would deliver the material, but, and there was another gentleman that worked for the Richmond road paving, Mark Patrick after about, I think it was, about, it was only about six months, you know, um, the Richmond road paving guys, this, they came to Rick and I and said, man, you guys, we love you. You're great. We don't want to work 80 hours a week and 90 hours a week. We can't do this, you know? And, and they were a little older than us yeah. and they, they, they weren't, well, two of them were, one of them wasn't. And they, they were just more laid back and, you know, and they said, why don't you guys just buy us out? And, uh, we, we said, well, uh, you know, okay. And, uh, just get, maybe this is a little personal, but did you have the money for that? I mean, you're starting up, you're probably investing, rolling everything into the business. So, uh, no, we didn't. And we made a plan with them. Yes. So we How'd you structure that we structured it where we we're going to pay them off in increments. Um, I can't remember the exact details, but I know that we really started rolling with that workout at Hamburg. It, I mean, and I, I mentioned Mark Patrick because he was the, he became our paving foreman and he really, uh, he works for ATS construction, the highway contractor now. And, uh, he was, he was a godsend. He was, he really put us on the map as a paving contractor. He, he knew the ins and outs. We learned a lot from him and, uh, he was our paving foreman and we just started rolling with work out of Hamburg and stuff. And, and, uh, we, we'd made enough money that year that we went ahead and, and bought them all the way out. We had a payment structured plan with them, but we, we paid it off. One of the things I was, I was always so terrified of debt. I was just, you know, my parents were just so conservative that way. My, you know, if you bought a car, you bought cash. You know, you didn't right. finance, you financed your house and that was about it. And, um, otherwise you didn't, I, mean, we, I remember when we bought that Bobcat first Bobcat was the first, the Bobcat was the first thing when Rick and I bought it that we ever financed. It was $20,000. And, uh, I was like shit in a brick. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, I, we got that sucker paid off. I don't even remember what the interest rate was. It, it probably could have been, I was so naive. It, it probably could have been zero. And, uh, and I was still, I was like, we got that sucker paid off in six months. So it, it, we started, we started rolling with the paving and, and, uh, 
it took off really well. And that's uh, awesome. And the reason I brought up the whole financing thing is a lot of young entrepreneurs, they don't realize, they think that they got to have the money all figured out or they got to have the cash on hand to do a deal. And there's a lot of ways you can skin a cat oh, absolutely. and, uh, you know, owner financing can work out. It's kind of partner financing. Essentially what happened there, they, they loaned you the money to buy him out and it worked out really great for you guys because you guys didn't have the cash and they got a little extra more or a little more than, than, than they would have because they were getting interest on the payments. Right. They got it faster. Yeah. So, and, uh, your mindset changed different now towards financing or are you still, it was, it still wasn't at that point, but oh yeah, definitely now. Uh, Yeah. I'm not, it's just a different mindset. Yeah. I've, I've changed the mentality is, you know, especially in, in real estate that was, we've grown Rick and I have grown into doing quite a bit of, uh, of real estate projects and, and properties. And, uh, I, I wish I had, uh, had done that earlier. I think it was in the, it was in the nineties when we first bought our first, well, first piece of property we, we bought was where we're, our located, our location is now on, uh, Cahill drive. But that all came about from, uh, I know one of your potential questions was uh, all, biggest all in. Yeah, yeah. We we were rolling pretty good with the with the paving. I noticed uh, one day out at the uh, the school out on Reynolds Road. Um, LCA Lexington Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I was, I was, yeah. I, well, I couldn't get Lexington Catholic. I'm, yeah. So they that used to be all those uh, warehouses, right? Um, and there's a guy out. It there. was like a tobacco warehouse. Tobacco warehouses, yeah. just pads and pads and pads. And, uh, there was a guy got the contract to demolish all those. And, uh, he had, he had a crusher, a rock crusher, a a recycling crusher for concrete. And I was so intrigued by that. And we, we were buying stone from him, the, the recycled stone. And it was really cheap. And I started thinking, you know, there's, you know, really a place for this. I mean, he had the mobile unit. And, uh, there was a gentleman that had actually dabbled in that has passed away. Now it's con Robinson. A lot of people know con, he was in the mulch business for probably 40, 50 years. And, uh, I had talked to him t- at times and, and, uh, that job had went and passed over there on Reynolds road. We, uh, we bought a, an Eagle brand new Eagle recycle crusher from up in Ohio. I put it on Con's property over there at Cahill Drive and and paid him a royalty of so much per ton. I think it was a dollar a ton that we crushed. But that thing was, I mean, we're talking most expensive thing at that point we'd ever bought was probably a 45, maybe a $50,000 paver. And this thing was like 330 grand. And <laughs> quite a big jump. A big jump, yeah. And uh it was financed um, and, uh, with Republic bank. So we're over at, at cons and um, my dad, um, uh, my mom and dad came down. Um, I'd moved them down in, uh, I think it was 90, 98, maybe 99. Um, and my dad bought a couple trucks and went into the trucking, got a CDL, went into the trucking business, uh, with a forest really. And my mom retired and kind of watched after the grandkids, but my dad didn't like driving the truck. So he wanted to run that recycling outfit. And, uh, we, we placed it over there at, at cons and, and, uh, I get a call one day. I didn't even know that that con was going through a divorce and it's his ex-wife. And she's like, 
came off the courthouse steps and uh, I'm your new landlord. And I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, And you have this massive loan on this. Yeah, I got a loan and she's, but I was like in panic and she's, she says, uh, she goes, I have three questions for you. She said, would, uh, would you still like to rent from me? Can you get me a certificate of insurance? And would you like to buy the property? And I remember replying, yes, yes, and yes. And uh, within, uh, I think it was within 30 days, it was quick, maybe maybe 40. Um, I'd contacted my buddy, Billy Blair, that I played baseball with at college and was on the bank, one of the original founders of the Bank of uh, Lexington on the bank board with him. Uh, he was still at, uh, I'm pretty sure he was a Republic then still, because he had the crusher. Yeah. And uh, we bought that property from her with Billy as a partner, me, Rick and Billy and uh, financed it, ended up, you know, having owning the property then. But then the devastating blow came uh, on the crush. We were going to, our plan was to, you know, this was just raw land. Our plan was to build a shop and, and put our office and everything there as it is. But something happened when the property transferred. And even though we'd been there crushing for, I think it was a year and a half, two years, the uh, city came in and we're right there with McConnell Springs Park and said, you know, you have to have a special permit for this. And oh, all. they rezoned it. Well, it wasn't rezoned. Okay. I guess that where Khan owned it and he had a bunch of recycle permits from the state. Got uh, it. But, th- but it turned out that it didn't matter from the state. We, we had to have a conditional use permit. And things, you know, can get escalated and blown out of proportion, you know, and, and, politics and zoning and stuff. And there was a lot of people that were representing the, you know, the McConnell Springs park, but we were shut down for probably, I guess it was a year, uh, with this big piece of equipment with a note trying to get permits and spending all this money and, you know, Oh, it was painfully, you know, how much money would you say you spent to get it up and running? Uh, probably in, Legal and professional fees, probably it was over a hundred. Was it worth it? Oh yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> and 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 you know, it was it was painstakingly ugly and and extremely stressful to say the least. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, we I mean we barely squeaked by. It was like a six to five vote at the from the board oh of adjustments, gosh. and of course you know they gave us a bunch of bylaws, and we've we've but we've moved past all that. We have a great relationship with all the people at McConnell's Springs park now. And, you know, they use our parking lot for their stuff. And anytime there's any issue, they come straight to us, but it's, yeah, but it was not easy going to to get in there. Right. So when you, when your new landlord called you and clearly once again, you're growing the business, you're probably reinvesting a lot of funds. You probably, when you said yes, you probably didn't have the financing figured out, right? No, you just no. knew you needed to. Yeah, no, we, yeah, uh, yeah, we had enough. I know we we all had to come up with a hundred grand, uh, to, you know, down three. We put three hundred grand down and bought the. I don't mind saying we bought the property for one point one. Um, Did you have a hundred grand? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. at that point, because we'd been. Yeah, we were. Uh, I think this was when we bought it. Was it was two thousand one? Okay, so we'd been we were, we were pretty well established then. So you'd been in business for seven years, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's, you know, that's a huge part of our business now. And, and, uh, we've, you know, we've since bought, we bought con two years before he passed away 
And so we're in that mulching. So we've got the whole recycle thing going on. And that, that's Did just, you end up being his landlord? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it, 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 yeah, it was, he was pretty hard on us, but when we were there, but he was, uh, he was a good tenant. He, he, I mean, he paid like clockwork and yeah, that's, that's kind of fun. Funny. How the tides yeah. There. Yeah. Wow. It's uh 2001. You're, you buy the property over there and you can't get this rock crusher on the ground, off the ground. Um, but you finally do get it off the ground and, and uh, your old landlords now your tenant. You know, it seems like you're full swing with Rick. W- w- at what point do you guys start doing concrete and oh, throw that into the mix? We were already doing the concrete work. Okay, yeah, we 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 came out of the gate. Um, Rick had a little bit of concrete experience, so yeah, we were we weren't doing. You know, the paving was definitely the bread and butter, um, but especially early on, we would try it. You know, you could get you get in with a property manager um, on whatever, just an apartment complex or whatever, and and let them know that you can take care of their concrete or, and, and their asphalt. But yeah, the, the, the paving was the bread and butter. Um, is that still the same case now? It, it is, uh, we, you know, we've got an amazing concrete crew right now. Um, I think we've got about the 13 guys that, that work on it. And, uh, we, uh, we made the best deal that we've probably ever made, Gosh, I guess it's been probably eight years ago. Uh, we had a guy that we used to uh, sub sub work to. Gary Dean is uh, is our concrete foreman now, and uh, he he had multiple companies and came to us, and you know he makes a little more than your normal foreman on a on a concrete crew, but he takes it and runs with it. He's you know it's like like its own little business within the business, and yeah, it's uh it's been it's been well money well spent because we struggled for a lot of years with the concrete work and a, and a, and a good concrete foreman. Well, yeah, I have experience very, with the concrete crew. It's great. Oh, <laughs> so, that's right. That's yeah. Great. You just, yeah. What size is the company now? As far as revenue employees or all of the above? I think we're, we're, we're going to try to bust a 25 million this year and that'd be a record. Um, but we're on track for it. Um, in a depression. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I we're we're on a good wave right now. I'm hoping, you know, it seems like the phone's not ringing as quite as much as it was early on this year, but I'm hoping we ride it out and see what happens. But we ventured out and got uh, 20 H2V visa workers this year, so that put us up uh, you're asking about size, that put us up over 100 employees for the for the first time. Can you explain time. that a little bit? Yeah, so it's uh you basically the two you got the ag visa workers um that you can get if you're in the farm. Right. Uh, and these are construction working type uh, visas where, it's, it, well, I say construction, it doesn't have to be construction. It can be in, you can be, it, it's a lot of people are, but you can also do it in a restaurant or whatever. You just have to prove that there's a shortage of uh, labor in your area for, for that. And we, we asked for 20. It's a, it's a, it's a long process. Um, takes some time to get it done but you know we we took you got to get an attorney and everything but you know so far i mean they, they come over for nine months at a time and uh you know they're they're they, they go back which works out perfectly for us you know they go back over the winter months um so we're, we're this is our first go around with it but so far i mean the the uh, guys that they're here you know they're here to work are here because they want to, they're shipping their money back to their families and you don't have a, we, or we haven't had the problems of, you know, not coming into work or not 
being accountable or, or some of the things that you'd go through when, because they're, you know, that they, they have a reason. And then the nice thing is, is, you know, we can bring them back again. Uh, and if, but if we don't want them, then we just say no. Um, uh, or if they don't want to come back to us, they can, so it's two way street. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a, uh, that's a really smart way to staff these days because, uh, there's not a lot of people out there that want to do hardcore manual labor. And I've seen those guys out there and it's, it is, I mean, you have some downtime and you know, there's, there's sometimes where it's hurry up and wait, but there's also some times where you're, I mean, that asphalt comes out of that truck, like 300 degrees and it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah, it's a, I'm not out there in it very much anymore, but, uh, and I'm thankful for that, but I would have, the utmost respect for our guys that do in the, in the concrete and the, and the asphalt. It's a, it's a tough job. It really is. Seal coating is, 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 is no easier either. There's a lot of, a lot of physical labor involved. Yeah. So, um, I know you're involved in some real estate. When did you and Rick decide, uh, Hey, we don't just want to do construction. We want to diversify a little bit. Well, the first thing we we bought that property then and then uh i think it was 2004 or 5 some in there we bought the old uh Kentucky Blood Center on Waller Avenue and um uh, with Billy Blair as well really yeah and uh we we bought it vacant and uh i thought we we got a pretty good deal on it i think and uh we end up, you know, getting it. We've got the arthritis center in there, uh, lab core and uh, a hand doctor that have been in there for quite a while, about 15 years. Well, 15 years on the arthritis center. Yeah, that that was a, an eye opening experience. Learned a little bit, but learned it too slowly. I think I, I wish I had paid more attention. I was so involved with the company with CNR that I didn't. You know, I would let Billy handle more of the, the finances on that and stuff. And I never really paid attention on how the depreciation and those kind of things hit the, hit the tax factor. And, uh, we've, and we've dabbled and bought, uh, a lot of other properties since. And then, you know, I think it was, uh, 2016 when we bought the old Conrad Chevrolet on Richmond road and did that development at, at Patchen. And that was our first construction build, you know, do the full development. So that was a, that was oh, a, so you built everything out in Patchen. Well, we, well, not the, not, we, we developed and sold the, we'd been, did all the infrastructure and then we okay, sold, okay. we sold those front lots to the, uh, uh, skyline, the La Rosa's first watch building. And then what is it? The custard places there. Now. Uh, Andes. Andes. Yeah. But we, and then we kept the rear and developed as a, I think 38,000 square feet back there and built that out. And it was a great experience of, uh, you know, getting ready to lease and COVID hits. <laughs> So, so that would make you, that would make you pucker up a little. That was tough um, because we were, we were literally a year and a half, two years slow on, you know, slower than we anticipated getting that thing leased up. And uh, of course the payments don't stop, but. Right. So you went all the way from Waller to the property on Richmond road. Those were the only two deals up until recently that you'd done. Oh no, no, there was, oh, okay, there okay. was, there was quite a few other ones. Okay. Yeah. Was that as recognizable? Yeah. Was all commercial or were you in habitational? That's uh, just well, commercial. commercial. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had some, I've, I've had some single family housing stuff, but I, I'm not good at it because <laughs> I've got a, I, 
I've got a bleeding heart and if I'm managing it, you know, I, I, I'll buy into the sob stories and, and I just, I was never good at collecting and it seemed like I never got paid. And, and the next thing you know, it's, it's four or five months in and then you got to evict and then it's like, well, I should have just done this for the beginning. So, right. Uh, anyway. um, kind of a twofold question here is again, and so in the commercial space, oh wait, you know, kind of how that affect the real estate investing. I know you had to deal with leases, getting tenants in there, but also how does say away or say COVID affect CNR? Yeah. So it, I think it was, um, 2004 was the first year we broke 10 million in sales. So we were rolling pretty, pretty good. And I remember when was it 2010, I think we, we had gotten up over 15 million, 16 million, somewhere in that range and dropped in 2010, I believe dropped down to like 5.6 or 6 million. Oh my gosh. That's a big hit. And uh, I mean, I remember our, our, our game plan was to break even. <laughs> I mean, we, we were like, if we can just keep our head above water and break even for, for this, uh, for this year, uh, you know, you just, you conserve and that's about what we did. We made a little bit of money, but it was tough. I mean, because you're, you know, once you're geared up and you've got all that equipment and you've got the employees, you know, you got to feed the beast. Um, you got to, right. you've got to keep things rolling and you got to find the work. And, and we'd always been really good at that. And it, it, the work just wasn't there, it, it, but it, it, it hit a little late for us. You said, you mentioned 08. We had a, we had a big job in, uh, Tampa, Florida. We did a four and a half million dollar job. It was kind of off the cuff for us to do something like that that far away, but it was, uh, it was kind of the perfect storm. We bid the job in like 2006 and that was when everything was booming so, so much that Florida contractors, they were letting state lettings and like the, the bids were coming in at double the engineer's estimate. So, cause everybody was so busy, they couldn't do anything. And so paving contractors down there were, I mean, they were a little private job all, you know, for, you know, for a highway contractor, a $4 million paving jobs, you know, on a parking lot is not, all that attractive. Right. And, um, so yeah. And we had done, we had done, I think like $15 million worth, worth of work for this company out at the Fayette mall. And, uh, well, actually not for the company. We'd, we'd done about $15 million worth of work out there. And this, the gentleman, Joe Natello was, was managing all that for him. He switched companies and, uh, was with this company and he got us in on that job in Tampa. So that, drew out and helped a lot, you know, with that. So it, we, but our, I think 2010 was where we were, our worst year in that. So you guys paid fade mall. We've yeah, like three times. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't no, know we did. That. We, yeah, we did all the, we did all the infrastructure, uh, all the, uh, everything basically, but the buildings, um, from that, from the Dick sporting goods on all of the plaza over there. That was, uh, the, I think it was Verizon was over there. Um, and the, the the mall built that or bought that, and then uh, they had somebody demo the the Verizon building, and we took it from there. I mean, we did all the grade work, all the curbing, all, everything, all the, the sanitary and store. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, like I said, but the, the cumulative, I think it was in two and a half years, it was about fifteen million dollars worth of work over there. That's uh, that's crazy. Just in paving and infrastructure. Cost yeah, fifteen million to build out what doesn't seem that big anymore. Fayette Mall. I mean, I mean Fayette Mall's large. Don't get me wrong, but 
Uh, everything built around it now makes it seem small. Right. I mean, like, yeah, there was no summit. Yeah. Right. Everything's right. I mean, like Hamburg wasn't established yet. Right. I mean, Hamburg had probably had gotten a start, but it wasn't Hamburg was, yeah, it was pretty established. We were doing that stuff in the nineties with the, with Hamburg when they, okay, that, was the, that was the, that was the groundbreaking development though. I mean, that was the first stores and a lot of asphalt out there too. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, it sounds like you got into Lexington at the right time. Yeah. I, I mean, when I, you know, growing up I in, in, in college, I, I, there was two cities I thought I would really want to live in. It was either Lexington or Nashville. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy with the choice. I mean, Nashville's obviously a great town and, and really booming right now. But Lexington's just small enough to, you know, it's it, to, to be able to establish, you know, coming from two communities the size like Pikeville and Bryan, uh, Bryan was hometown is 10,000 people and and I'm not even sure what Pike Bill Pike County that varies but you know, it's not that big it's 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 grown a lot since I graduated from college there but it's tough to to be able to to have a business and just service that kind of area you're going to have to really travel I mean you're you know travel costs so I think that Lexington is the is the perfect size market where I I I like it you know and it's not you know you're not in Atlanta you don't have the traffic like that. And I mean, you hear some of these horror stories from those. We're in a pavement network with about 20 other contractors, non-highway contractors that do the same things all over the country. And, you know, some of their traffic stories just in themselves are, are so, I mean, they'll, they'll go to work at three o'clock in the morning just to, you know, to be able to get to the job. And Oh my gosh. Yeah. uh, You keep mentioning uh, highway contractors. What's the difference between, CNR and a highway contractor. Well, most of your highway contractors will, well, they're going to own a plant, uh, and they're probably going to own a possibly the quarry. There's a substantial markup in what they're selling us as a product. You know, they need the the natural resources and and the asphalt plant to to get in there and 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 be competitive. I mean, we can't without that markup, we can't compete. You know, because they're in that and just buying the material from them. So, so they're just essentially so large and they have the raw materials at their disposal. Yeah. A lot of the times, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the plants will sit on a quarry and then the, you know, the, uh, the the owner of the asphalt plant also owns the quarry or, or at least has some sort of. So they wouldn't call themselves a highway contractor, but they essentially do all the highway jobs because they can bid the breast price. It's, and, and we're fine with that. I mean, we've got our niche, yeah. our niche of what we do. We've looked into that and it's, yeah, maybe if I was a little younger, I would have more ambitious. I would dive into it now with a little more, you know, financial resources to be able to afford a plant and so on and so forth. But, and, and we've talked about it, but I, it's just not and at this point in our lives, Rick and I are pretty, pretty content in what we do. We're making good money and don't need the, stress and aggravation of growing that much more. So. Yeah. At some point you, you want to pump the brakes in the growth and you just want to. Yeah. Just, yeah. Enjoy life a little bit. Right. Exactly. That's right. Enjoy time with family. So you mentioned that you wish you would have gotten into real estate earlier and dove into the numbers more. What has that done to change maybe your financial situation or what, what did you not realize that you were now, you had your eyes open to that really kind of changed the game for you? Well, a lot of things, um, you know, just getting introduced to cost segs and cost segregation studies. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sure you know what they are, but a lot of people didn't. I certainly didn't. 
we had bought the uh, old Wayne Supply building over on Lyle Industrial Avenue. And uh, no, I take that back. Let me back up. So uh, me, Billy, and Rick with our company, we we invested in, uh, we own 20% of the uh, Malibu Jacks property there on uh, Nicholasville Road. Yeah. And uh, it's basically everything. We own everything there except the the Red Lobster the Chick-fil-A and the uh, Getty Town. Or, uh, yeah. Okay. And what was there before Kmart? Yeah. Yeah. And we and bought there it. There was a gym. Yep. Yeah. There was a gym. There, there was a gym there. Still is it? Or is the gym gone? Gym's gone. Okay. Yeah. I think Malibu Jacks took all took of all that right now. Yeah. So when we bought that, somebody said, you guys need to do a cost seg, a cost segregation study on that. And I didn't even know what a, what a cost segregation study was. Well, it's basically, there's a lot of, with current tax laws and it hasn't always been that way. Um, but there's bonus depreciation that you can use for 15 year and under property. And, but you have to have a, an engineer or and professionals and accountants involved to basically analyze that property and take anything and use their, I guess, interpretation or their pro- professional opinion on what property is valued at, at 15 years and under. So you can't just ha- tell your CPA, Hey, I want to take this, to, you know, you, <laughs> you have to have something to back it up if you're going to right. get an audit. And, and so, yeah. And so we did that and, you know, you get, you get to throw a ton of money that normally would be 29 year property de- or, or 30 some year property depreciated that slowly. You can throw it all at once and it offsets that your, your income. And, especially for someone, you know, that's established a business over the years and is making good money, you know, you know, that's the next headache in life. Once you start making money is the taxes, <laughs> you know, so you try to do investments like that and you learn the cost eggs and stuff like that, 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 uh, help you keep more, retain more of what you're making. Right. So obviously depreciation and cost eggs were, uh, a pivotal part later on when when you did have the the cash flow <laughs> right because when you're growing one nice thing about growing is sometimes you don't pay a lot of taxes because you're reinvesting all that back into equipment or remodeling this or buying this facility or exactly and then all of a sudden you you put pause on that and you're like you get one big tax year and you're like whoa <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah you know it exactly and then and that's the thing you for so you know, for so long you're buying so much equipment and you're getting all that depreciation and yeah, you're, you're making money, but you get to offset it with some of those things. And then, you know, the more established you get, the more, you know, solid you get, the more money you're making, the, the more, you know, that hits you and you're like, you get a couple of those big tax bills and say, man, I need to really address this. <laughs> yeah. When, when your depreciation line on your financial statements goes to zero, you're calling your accountant like, what, what do I need to do? <laughs> exactly. It, uh, it definitely, uh, definitely hurts things. Yeah. We we talked a lot about the entrepreneur side and and growing a business and just the history of of you and CNR kind of hopping onto the leadership side. What would say what what would, what would you be some what would you say are some of the things that really has helped you and Rick um, as a philosophy with CNR to I mean I I've met some of the employees there and I mean I'm here and you know this guy say oh I've been here 17 years and this guy saying I'm 20 and 21 and i'm like holy crap you know like you know or rick and steve putting 
gold coins in your pocket every you leave every day, you know? Like, <laughs> so you know, what's been um, the key to your all success and just leading people and taking care of people, et cetera? Well, I think, you know, like you said, we, we have several people, uh, a couple of people that are over 25 years with us. Um, I think it's upwards of 10 that are over 20, probably 10 that are over 20 years. I mean, I did a uh, little analysis at our last Christmas party and broke it down for everybody. And I said, combined in this room, we have like, it was like 769 years of service. That's awesome. And for at our last Christmas party from, and that's the longevity of people that, you know, and I, I think the key is that, you know, just trying to treat people well. I mean, we pay well, a lot of guys, I feel like a lot of our guys may be able to go somewhere else and, and make a little more money, you know, if they were to go into a union situation and they have the skill set. but, you know, we try to treat people right and, you know, give good working conditions and, and, and appreciate them you know, um, and show them the respect that they deserve. And I, I don't know, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I think that, you know, Rick and I have both done it. We've been there grinding our guts out with our back aching and shoveling. And it's not like we were either one of us or far from any being raised with a silver spoon in our mouth, so to speak. So right. I think that's part of it is that we've done that ourselves. We know how hard it is to, you know, work a 14 hour day and boots on the ground and and then get back up at, at six in the morning and come back to work again and do it again. And, and, and it's seasonal work. So you got to do it when, you know, you got to make the, Hey, when the sun shines. And so, uh, and we try to reward them and we give out some pretty substantial Christmas bonuses and, 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 and a lot of other perks, you know, anything, anything we can do to throw at them to, you know, say, you know, give them a little thank you. You know, you know if somebody wants to borrow a Bobcat or a dozer to do something at their house, it's almost hundred percent. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, we've, I've been blessed. We've, uh, definitely been surrounded by some, some good people and in the office staff too. I mean, as, as well as the field. So I don't know that there's a, you know, that, uh, that there's a magic recipe other than the fact that we've always said, you know, we were both raised up blue collar. We want to treat people like we would like to be treated, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so I think it, it's worked out. I think it's worked out on, I think most of the, most of the guys that you, you've met them, I think they're, most of the guys are pretty happy with their situation and pretty happy with them. So that's awesome. What, uh, what's the future for you and CNR? The future looks good. I mean, you know, it's, you're always worried about the the recession and or, or those kind of types of things and how that's going to affect you. You know, because you always, like I said, you always got to feed the beast. But you know, there's only so much you can do about those kind of things. So you know, there's no sense stressing too much or worrying about things you can't control. Uh, there's too many things that you can control in life. So you know, uh, I'm excited right now. We've got a, a we've got a couple of developments going, uh, one over in Lawrenceburg with a industrial subdivision. And that's the first thing we've ever done like that. I've got a couple of things going in with opportunity zones. That's a new, yeah. uh, a new, um, I guess tax it's, it's, it's got a lot of tax advantages, uh, an opportunity zone from, uh, that standpoint, I've got a couple of projects going you with, working with Who's the uh, Macintosh? Macintosh, Scott Macintosh, Scott, Mac yeah. you yeah. working with Scott Macintosh yeah. on that? Yeah. Okay. He set up the, set up the opportunity zone, uh, companies for me. So got some construction going on with that. And Rick and I are going to do a, a, an opportunity zone. Uh, we've got under contract supposed to close here in a couple weeks, uh, 55 acres over in Winchester that, uh, 
is residential. We're going to do opportunity zone. So, and our, our thinking about, we're thinking about building, you know, get partnering up with somebody and building those houses out ourselves and see what happens. I don't know. There's some, there's some stuff to figure out on uh, sanitary sewer and stuff. I got to get with the engineers on, but there's a lot, lots of moving parts. Yeah. Try to stay. It seems like Winchester's booming. Winchester's a nice town. I like that. I like that city. Yeah. And, and as, uh, Lexington has expanded its urban services boundary, um, it seems like a lot of the, where they're expanding is kind of more out towards Winchester and out towards Richmond road, kind of like that quadrant of Lexington. So that would be, that'd be even more beneficial because now you're making the commute that much shorter. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Winchester to Hamburg is like 15 minutes away. So yeah, it's, uh, it's not too far away from Lexington. Right. And that's one of the, always one of the concerns with Lexington is that it, it on new construction is, you know, we're getting really tight on, on land. Yeah. Um, so still got a ways to go to fill it all up, but it's like, unless they keep expanding that service area and nobody wants to dip into the horse farms any further than probably we really already are, but right. it's kind of a staple for us. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, and we talked about all the, all the people that you had that have been with you so long. The only issue, that's a great thing, but the only issue is that is, you know, you've been with the company 25 years, you might start looking to retire. What, uh, how are you guys, you know, you're talking about how you're bringing some, some visa workers up, but that doesn't sound like they're, you're, you know, they're going to be your foremans. What's your kind of development plan for long-term kind of filling that pipeline? That's a, that's a great question. And it's a tough one because there's, yeah, you're right. I mean, our foreman's gosh, I mean, 25 and 20 years all, all the way around the board almost. And it's, yeah, I mean, we don't really have a good plan. We're just, we're just going to hope that, you know, somebody steps up. I mean, they're, they're out there. I mean, there's people, uh, they're just fewer and far between. And, and we do have some, we've been pleasantly surprised with those, uh, with the, uh, visa workers. Um, we've got three guys, I think that, I mean, one guy was, he's, he was a foreman. Uh, oh, he, awesome. he was a highway foreman over, uh, in Mexico. He's, he had pictures of some of the jobs that he'd ran and built. So yeah, you know, maybe, uh, that we'll go down that road. Um, he keeps coming back. I mean, he's definitely got the, uh, you know, the background and the, and the skill set to do that, but there's still the, you know, language barrier is the problem. So yeah. he's not, he's not, uh, fluent in English. So that's always, a a big factor, but get him a student visa and send him to UK. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. You can stay, stay the three months and do that. He knows the work ethic. He can go to school and work. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah. Rick and I talk about that all the time. We cert- we certainly haven't looked in the crystal ball and figured it, figured it out yet. So, yeah. 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 That's something that, yeah. When it hits, it hits hard. Yeah. And you know, you lose somebody that has that much experience and you don't realize Sometimes you don't realize how much they were actually doing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you were expecting these dominoes to fall and then these dominoes fell and you were planning just for those dominoes to fall and these other ones fell and you're like, oh crap. I didn't realize they were the glue that held this together too. Yeah. You know, and, and it's that extra influence that they're not directly over this, but they're casting that influence over here. And you just, you know, you miss it. Yeah. You don't see it. Yeah. And, 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 and these, these guys that, you know, that are out there, I, I mean, I wake up with 
aches and pains and, you know, aging, you know, I'm not getting any younger. And, and I just think about, you know, our foremans that some of them are right there, same age as Rick and I, some of them a little older, a little younger, but not much younger. And they've been doing this, you know, it takes a toll on your body. And we try to really do a, a good job. And I mean, we get the best equipment that we can get as far as uh, bobcats, everything. We get everything with, you know, heat and air and, and, you know, just try to get the, the best equipment for them to work with. It makes life easier to keep, you know, wear and tear down on the body, but you're still, I mean, it's still rough. It's you can like, only do so much. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's still hard work. You can't get a, a shovel with AC. <laughs> That's right. No, <laughs> certainly can. Whoever, uh, whoever invents that is going to make a lot of money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, building a business and being an entrepreneur and being a dad are, are tough things. So how yeah. have you balanced that over the years? Yeah. So yeah, as you know, six, six daughters. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, it's tough. Um, for sure. I, I tell my kids that, you know, the, the best investment you can make is getting out of college. And if you're going to start doing something or, 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 or not, not necessarily if you get out of college, whenever you start the, in the workforce is to go at it as hard as you can possibly go, because that's, I look at, I look at that and it wasn't necessarily my plan. I, I, I just was driven. I wanted to succeed, but I look back at it now. And that was the, those were some of the hardest years working those 80 and 90 hour weeks. But that was a great, that was the best investment that I've ever made because, you know, I've reaped the benefits of that and been able to back off and, and have some more family time. Now I, d I wasn't immediate, you know, my first child was born in 96 Caitlin. And, uh, you know, she was 10 years old. I remember when I first started coaching, my oldest three daughters were, or were really good at softball players. And I, she was 10 years old when I first, my, my dad and I, my dad had always, always coached me, uh, growing up and, and, uh, she was 10 years old when I started coaching her. She hadn't even played at all. Uh, but then, you know, by the, by the time that, you know, the, I was stepping away enough from the business to enjoy a little bit of life. Um, you know, I had my, my third daughter, you know, I had her playing at five. Yeah. So, and, and it's still always hard, you know, he's still, you know, I mean, uh, to, to, you know, it's, it's hard to pull back because that business is your baby too, you know, and, right. and that's what takes care of your baby. So you try to, it's, it's work and balance, uh, uh, of family life is always difficult, but I think the, that investment up front and getting yourself established is, is so important because that allows you to do it and to be much more flexible in the future down, down the road with, with the kids. How have you balanced, uh, like turning off even when you get home? A few beers, <laughs> <laughs> probably a few too many beers. No, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, cause I, I mean, even on vacation, I'm never really on vacation. I, you know, I'm always, the phone is, it's 24, unless, unless you're on a vacation where you don't have service, I'm still doing emails. I'm still doing phone calls. I'm still doing texts and so on and so forth. So, but I can get away a lot and still get away, you know, right. and, 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 and you only, if you only have to do two or three hours of that a day, then that's still a lot better than 90 hours a week. So, Oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's incredible. I think one of the biggest things that 
I struggle with is my brain's still churning and I'm still thinking of things even at six o'clock when I go home. Oh, you know, and I, so, when I was your age, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. I, it was, it, it, it never stopped. I mean, I would wake up in the middle of, I mean, you couldn't sleep because the brain, you're just rolling, thinking about, if you're not thinking about something that you could be doing, you're, you're worrying about something, you're trying to figure something out on how to better yourself, your services, your company. So, yeah. And it, and it used to be worse for me, but it's still bad. Like I'll, I'll just, I'll be thinking about something. I'll almost, I'll start researching it, you know, and yeah. I'll be like, gosh, you know, I, I got four hours with my child here. I need to spend the four hours that I have before she goes to bed. But you, you got know? that phone. But I got the phone and, and I got I can, this idea and I'm like, I don't want to lose this idea. And, but early on, even earlier on, I, I kept a notebook beside my, on my nightstand because I would wake up in the middle of the night and have an idea. And I could not go to sleep until I wrote it down. Yeah. Because otherwise I was like afraid I was going to forget it. <laughs> I, I have a friend. I have a friend that he's, he, he either wakes up or sets an alarm at 4 a.m. because of this same reason. Gets the notepad out, writes down everything that he's been thinking about, toss and turn until 4 a.m. And that allows him or his to-do list or things that he's thought about. So that, And then turns the alarm off writes all that down and then goes back to sleep till seven. And that's like his only three hours of peaceful sleep. He said, <laughs> so, so, well, whatever it takes. Right. Yeah. So and like, that's it has the to do. list. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's ready. So, but that's, it's like, I, I, I toss and turn all night till I make my list and then I can decompress for three hours and sleep. So I like, that's interesting. Yeah. Hey, whatever works. Right. Right. Yeah. One other thing I just thought about is, you're doing real estate, you're doing asphalt, you're doing concrete, you're doing seal coating, you got your hand, you're doing rock crushing and mulching and all this stuff, right? You got all these things going on. You could spend your time focusing on a million different things. I mean, you could be like, oh, I want to expand the rock crushing or I want to expand the striping or I want to pour gasoline on this fire and get this sucker going. How do you prioritize that? How do you, when, when you walk into work every day, what do you say, this is what I'm going to do? I used to be a really, I would consider myself a micromanager early on. And I think I actually probably held the company back a little bit because I wanted to have too much control. I wanted to do too many things on my own because I, I had this mentality, you know, as a lot of entrepreneurs will, I think I can do this better than anybody else simply because I care more. Right. Uh, there's nobody care that cares as much or more than me. You know, I used to think I was a good salesman. I'm not a good salesman. I suck as a salesman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible. Uh, but I didn't, I, and I went through different, you know, things of being able to relinquish that, I, I guess, control power was, I've never been power hungry. I guess the control, because I, for the wrong reasons, because I, like I said, I, I thought that I could do it better because I cared more, but I've learned slowly to the point that, you know, the delegation and the trust factor, I mean, you got to hold people accountable, but you know, back to what you are asking, I will have ideas and, uh, I will bring them to the table either as a group or for the, for the company to focus on, or I will if it's a specific thing that I will, I'll try to give it to one person, you know, uh, if it can be handled by one person and, and get the fire going in them with the gasoline and let them take off running with it instead of me. 
Right. So that's kind of how I deal with those kind of things. Now, if I'm having a brainstorm or something, I don't, I try to get it flowing and push it away from me and let it develop on its own. That's all. Awesome. Seems to work, but not always, <laughs> certainly not always. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely, uh, empathize with the whole, I might not be the best one to do the job, but sometimes I definitely care the most. Right. And I definitely have the highest standard in my opinion, uh, on a lot of things. So like, I want it to be, you know, if I'm going to draw that line, I want it to be perfectly straight and I'm not going to hand it to the customer until it's, until it's perfect to my standard. Right. And <laughs> that can make you work a lot. It would make you work a whole lot. Yeah. And it'll drive you crazy. Yeah. It'll, I mean, I've, I've been there, you know, I've had the, uh, I was in my thirties doing stress tests, you know, with acid reflux and, and heart, I never had heart problems, but I was thinking that, you know, it was the acid reflux and had thinking I, yeah, it's, and it'll, it'll, it'll eat you alive. If you let it, you got to have that balance and figure it out. And it's not easy if you're, if you're really, you know, if you're really driven and striving to, to get a goal, or if you have a, you have something that you're, you're reaching for, it's hard to figure it out. Uh, at least it was for me. Um, yeah. so but I've got there. It took time, but so I would strongly encourage people that, you know, don't let yourself get to that point. I mean, my mom bought me a, she knew how stressed I was and she bought me a, a book about this. I think it was just some, something simple. It was like, don't, don't sweat the small stuff or something. And I read that as it, it was, you know, just, and especially the things you can't control. You know, I used to, you got to realize that, you know, if, if there's nothing I can do about a situation, then what, let's, let's move on. Let's worry about something that I can have some control over some influence and, uh, get that off the, off the mind. Yeah. Who's been your biggest mentor role model in life? Oh gosh. Um, you know, my, my grandfather that I mentioned is that he was a great man, uh, hardworking, salt of the earth, you know, just people loving person, do anything for anyone. Um, you know, my dad taught me early on and he got me into having a paper route when I was, you know, eight years old, seven or eight years old. And I was, you know, I had that thing till I think I was 15. I was like for, I had an eight year paper route. I was like the longest carrying, uh, Brian <laughs> times guy. They gave me a, after eight years, they gave me a golden, a golden bag, paper carrying bag, you know, that you'll ride on your bike with. And I'm like, well, that's great. I'm retired. What am I going to do with this? All right. Could have gave me some money or something, but but, uh, no, dad, dad instilled that work ethic. I mean, even playing through all the sports and everything in high school, I always, he always I had a, had a job of some sort, it seemed like, and always had a job in the summers and, um, and, and the, my parents are very conservative. Like I mentioned, I, so I, uh, I, I appreciate them instilling that in me that, you know, that if you didn't have the money to buy, you don't, you know, on certain things, you just, you don't, you don't, you good, you do what you can afford. And, uh, so Yeah. I think those two. That's awesome. Well, we'll put in the show notes if uh, anybody wants their parking lot striped or uh, seal coated or got a big project going on, they can put some contact information to reach out to you and we'll put something in there too if there's any uh, young uh, young bucks in college that uh, want to get their hands dirty at CNR Asphalt and work for you. Then uh, Yeah. Uh, hopefully we can. Hopefully they can learn they're going to go in business the right things instead of the wrong things the way I approached it. <laughs>